Welcome to the show. I got a full one for you today. It's nice to be back in the studio in New York. Had to do a little hurricane dodging for the previous show. Thankfully, like I said, it, it ended up missing my hometown, but directly. So I had to make a mad dash for Washington to make sure I had power for y'all. Um, but anyway, back in New York, back in the studio. Um, excited to be here. A lot of stuff to get to. We're going to talk about the House passing their $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill that Bernie led the charge on. Really, really, really interesting stuff. Um, so there's there's an update in there that's like, uh, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest. There's an update that might include a poison pill, but the update might also not include a poison pill. It all depends on um, it all depends on what direction the Democrats go when the deadline hits for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So we'll talk about that. I'll break it all down for you. Um, we also have Biden's approval rating just absolutely plummets. It falls off a cliff. So I'll give you the numbers there. Um, I'll give you an update on the evacuation from Afghanistan and how that's going. The media has been lying relentlessly about that. It's really, uh, it's really something to see. I haven't seen a propaganda effort this deep since the buildup to the Iraq war. Um, Alex Jones turned on Trump. I'll give you the numbers for last year. How, much, how many minutes in total did the media cover Afghanistan? You're not going to want to miss that story, I promise you. Cuomo gave a farewell address. 
there are some unvaccinated Trump supporters who spoke to CNN and told them, you know, what they're thinking and whatnot. That's a really interesting story. So believe me, you don't want to miss uh, today's show. Got a lot of a lot of great stuff, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I have a very serious story later on for you involving hospital prices and how they're just ripping you off in a thousand different ways. Perhaps that's unsurprising to you guys, but the specifics are, of course, worth uh, mentioning and discussing in detail, so we'll do exactly that. And, uh, yeah, a lot more. I'm, I'm only giving you like a little little taste there of the stories that we got, believe it or not. Um, I have many more on top of that, so let's go ahead and get started here. It's been interesting to see that um, the left flank has been fighting on the issue of this reconciliation bill, Bernie's bill. He was largely responsible for it, $3.5 trillion. It's got a number of amazing things in there. Um, you have, obviously, there's a group in the Senate, including Manchin and Cinema, who want to kill the thing. And then you also have members of the House. That number has been whittled down, believe it or not, all the way to nine. My guess is there would have been a much bigger faction than that, maybe 20 or 30 that wanted to kill it. It's been whittled down to nine. There's some reports that of the nine, Many of them have buckled. There's only maybe a handful of, of holdouts. Um, but let me explain to you. I'm going to give you the whole process, what's likely to happen, and the details that we just got, because the House actually passed the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. But there's a catch. It doesn't mean exactly what you think it means, because this isn't regular order. This is a reconciliation bill. So now comes the reconciliation part of the reconciliation bill, which means a lot more negotiations are going to happen, and the bill is going to be change in a bunch of different ways. Uh, so before I get into that, let me show you exactly what I'm talking about when I say that uh, the, the left flank is fighting. Justice Democrats did a massive ad buy in the districts of the right-wing Democrats who were holding out and not supporting this bill. They did an ad buy and they attacked them directly in their own districts. Watch this. does exactly that, fixing our roads and bridges, making historic investments in clean energy, education, and broadband, expanding Medicare and childcare. But these nine conservative Democrats are sabotaging Biden's agenda because it would make billionaires and corporations pay their fair share. Tell Representative Gottheimer, stop obstructing President Biden and start working for the American people. Now, so... Pressure was applied on them, and Pelosi even sided with the left flank on this and tried to whip them into line. And then, like I said before, the House has officially passed the $3.5 trillion budget resolution. Common Dream says, Pelosi runs over right-wing Dems as House approves $3.5 trillion budget blueprint. Progressives say their position has not changed. Bold reconciliation package comes first and then watered down bipartisan infrastructure plan. Okay, so... Now, that last part is going to be crucially important. The left flank is going to need to hold. And the reason I say that is because we have the potential poison pill that was slipped in in order to get the nine Democrats to buckle to vote in favor of this reconciliation bill. So what do I mean? You had uh, Nancy Pelosi was driving a hard bargain on this. And she agreed to turn over some negotiating capability to Representative DeFazio. Now, the reason she did that is because DeFazio is a very close Pelosi ally. 
and she knows that DeFazio will basically do whatever she wants. So as a token gesture to relinquish some power in this negotiation, because she was driving a hard bargain with the nine right-wing Democrats, uh, she, she said DeFazio will be the one to decide uh, what the deadline is and when we're going to vote on the reconciliation pa- and when we're going to vote, excuse me, on the bipartisan package. Now remember, the nine Democrats, conservative Democrats, right-wing Democrats, corporate Democrats, the thing that they want is to vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill first. Why? So that we can pass that and then they can turn around and kill what's called the human infrastructure bill, the reconciliation bill, the $3.5 trillion package, which has a number of amazing things in it. They want to kill that one and pass the watered down bipartisan infrastructure bill. So that's why they want to vote on it first. So what deal did Pelosi slash DeFazio make with these nine Democrats in order to get them to vote in favor of the $3.5 trillion reconciliation package to start the process, the budget resolution? Um, The deal they made is there will be a vote on the bipartisan bill by September 27th. September 27th. And so this is, now there's two ways to look at this. It's either a poison pill that now gives the House moderates, moderates, corporatists, leverage so that when that day comes, they could just stonewall and not really make any inroads for a final reconciliation package in the negotiations. They could ask for absurd things and just stonewall uh, and then, September 27th comes and they go, whoopsies, guess we couldn't get a a reconciliation bill done. Guess we're going to have to vote on that bipartisan bill now anyway, because that's what you promised to, September 27th, so let's do it. That's one way of looking at it, that there was just a poison pill slipped in to the agreement to vote on this, on the bipartisan deal by September 27th. There is another way of looking at it, though. And for that, I go to um, Jake Sherman, of Punchbowl News and NBC News, and he said something really interesting, because I was of the the opinion, hey, this is all, Pelosi just put the poison pill into the negotiations so that when they have to vote on the bipartisan bill first by September 27th, she could go, oh gosh, what could I do? It is what it is. We made the deal. Now we're screwed. I guess we're not getting a reconciliation package or they'll water it down so much that it's unrecognizable and say, well, maybe we could vote on that one. But no, according to Jake Sherman, um, apparently Speaker Pelosi still has all the cards. Um, The rule that the House passed says that the House needs to, quote, consider the infrastructure bill by September 27th. So it was reported in other outlets as they have to vote on it on the 27th, by the 27th. Uh, But no, it says the language actually is, quote, consider the infrastructure bill by September 27th. Um, So that just means you have to begin the process. And also, the leadership can change the agreement by inserting new language in a different rule, thereby nullifying the deal with the moderates. And... Now, this would require a House vote, but Pelosi only needs 218 votes to get it done, and reporting is she has that. And then there's a third option, which uh, they refer to as the breaking the glass plan, which allows Pelosi to unilaterally reschedule the vote. It's called the, the timeout authority, and Pelosi can, quote, postpone further consideration of a measure in the House to such time as may be designated by the Speaker. This was designed for emergency situations, but like any rule, can be applied however the majority wants. So, 
my guess is, I don't know, but my guess is what's happening here is, based on everything we've seen from Pelosi to this point, she is in agreement with Biden, and she wants this thing passed. And so the September 27th deadline, which is really a fake deadline, is just a token gesture to make the nine moderates think, well, now we can run out the clock and get a vote on our bill, the bipartisan bill, but she's not going to do that. She's not going to allow that because she wants the reconciliation bill to pass first and for them to go, be tied together like they've been saying all along. Um, now, the only – so it depends how, how cynical you are, how you want to interpret that. Is Pelosi uh, going to use the September 27th deadline to say, what can I do? I guess we've got to pass the bipartisan one first, therefore basically killing the, infra- the um, reconciliation bill. That's possible. Or is it just the face-saving gesture – you know, we got to read between the lines and speculate in order to get an answer there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold judgment and wait until I see what happens. But I will say this. Even though the budget resolution passing the House is phenomenal, everybody needs to understand what this really means. What this means is now the reconciliation process begins. And so this $3.5 trillion package is going to go through a bunch of committees, and the committees are going to renegotiate the package. And so basically the $3.5 trillion bill was the start of the negotiations. And so now um, they're going to make it smaller and they're going to strip out certain things. And then the question becomes, how good is the final bill and is it worthy of the left flank to support it? And obviously when we have the final details, at the time I'll give you my take on it. But right now what's in the bill is child tax benefit, universal pre-K, paid family leave, paid medical leave, tuition-free community college, lower prescription drug costs, dental, hearing, and vision uh, for a Medicare expansion, housing, home care, major climate money, immigration reform, lower Medicare age, Obamacare expansion, increasing uh, increasing physical supply. That's according to Jeff Stein. I still don't know what that means. Um, Too many climate plans uh, to even list. Beefed up IRS tax enforcement, taxing the rich, taxing corporations, fees on polluters, and uh, other Medicare stuff. So that's all the stuff that's in the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. It will not be in there at the end. So my rule of thumb is this. If the bill is over $2 trillion and it keeps a lot of these good provisions, right, the ones I, I care a lot about all of them, but I really, really care about paid family leave and medical leave, free community college, uh, universal pre-K, um, those are the ones that really pop to me among some others, but if you get a bill that's $2 trillion or more and it has those provisions in it, I think that that would be a, a bill worth voting for. If, you get, if the overall price tag drops below $2 trillion, I think I'd have to vote against the bill. I think I'd have to take a stand and draw a red line and say this is not enough. Uh, it appears like one of the definite red lines among uh, the left flank in Congress are if they strip out the money for climate provisions, the left flank is, is going gonna to be mutiny, and they're going to say, we're not voting for it, we're against it. And you'll probably have a decent block of 5 to 10, maybe even more than that, who are like, we're not voting for it if you take out all the climate money. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I have to say, at the very beginning, I was super pessimistic that this was going to work. It's gotten further than I thought it would, because the bipartisan deal already passed the Senate, and now reconciliation has begun on the $3.5 trillion bill in the House. 
So it's gotten further than I thought it would, but I'm still skeptical that ultimately we're going to get it done. Um, it's possible you get like, I don't know, the bipartisan, the bipartisan infrastructure bill becomes law and you get a super watered down reconciliation bill that becomes law. That's like a trillion or something like that. But I'm still skeptical you can sort of cobble this thing together and keep the disparate factions in line. But to this, I will say again, to this point, I'm amazed at how far it has gotten. I didn't expect the bipartisan infrastructure bill to pass the, the Senate. It did. It did. And I definitely didn't expect Pelosi to keep them all in line to even begin the reconciliation process on the $3.5 trillion. She did. She was able to keep them in line. Uh, so we'll see if that's a poison pill in there with the September 27th rule. Um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And we'll see what the final bill looks like. But obviously, you know, I hope for as good of a bill as humanly possible, and I hope that these negotiations go a little bit more in agreement with the left flank. I don't want the third-way people and the New Dem coalition and the corporate Democrats and the right-wing Democrats to have their way with this and strip it down to bare bones, and then, you know, then we're screwed. Because as Professor Richard Wolf said, this is a great example of, like, even if we pass this bill as is, $3.5 trillion, this is still nowhere near enough. It would be the most transformative bill since the New Deal. But even this is nothing compared to the New Deal. And the scale of our problems are much bigger. So we would need, I mean, we need way more than this. And a much more transformative approach than this. I mean, this is transformative, don't get me wrong. But we need more. So how much are we willing to accept in the negotiations? Again, I said it before, I'll say it again. Over $2 trillion is my golden rule. If it's under $2 trillion, I can't can't bring myself to vote for it. And then you've got to see specifically what's stripped out and what's added in. But there you have it. That's where we are right now in these uh, budget talks and the reconciliation talks and the infrastructure talks. Let's see what happens. Okay. Next. So President Biden's approval rating has absolutely nosedived. Let me show you this here. Biden job approval in New Suffolk USAT poll sinks to 41 percent, 41. He's now at 46.6 percent in real, real clear politics average and underwater by more than two points. And you could see there, you could see what it looks like in chart form. And obviously, the most recent large dip, now he was dropping slowly but surely all the way up to this point, but the real dip came with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Now, who do I blame this on? What do I blame this on? How did we get here? The answer is very simple. Getting out of Afghanistan is still, I just saw a poll on it earlier today, 63% favorable. 63% favorable to get out of Afghanistan. So Joe Biden actually does that, and you know what happened? His approval on Afghanistan went from 55% all the way down to 25%. 
I've been following politics a long time, doing it for a living for almost a decade. Never in my life have I seen such a colossal disconnect. People say we want to get out. Joe Biden gets out and his approval rating plummets because he got out. That makes no sense. 63% say withdraw from Afghanistan. Now he went from 55% approval on Afghanistan to 25% approval on Afghanistan. He nosedived for doing what the people wanted. How, how, how? The answer is very simple. The media, the media. This is relentless, vicious, ruthless propaganda that we're seeing. And honestly, what was the mirror image of this? What was the flip side of this? We saw it in the primary. Remember when it was very clear, not going to be Amy Klobuchar, not going to be Mayor Pete, not going to be any of the other goofy Democrats. It's either going to be Bernie or it's going to be Biden. What happened when that became clear? All the Democrats dropped out, coalesced behind Biden at the very last minute, and the media went 100% all in on, got to pick Biden, got to pick Biden, got to pick Biden, got to pick Biden, got to pick Biden. Bernie's unelectable. Bernie's insane. Bernie's crazy. Bernie defended Hugo Chavez. Bernie defended um, Fidel Castro. Uh, he's a communist. He's a socialist. Be afraid. Government take over health care. You're not going to be able to pick your doctor. It was all, the propaganda was so, so overwhelming. It was devastating how bad that propaganda was. Absolutely devastating. And so what happened? Biden won as a direct result of that, of the coalescing of the party and the media intervention and propaganda. Well, now the media is intervening and propagandizing on the opposite side of the issue. This is a rare issue where Joe Biden did the exact right thing. He's 100% correct. And what happens? The media falls in line behind the CIA, our intelligence agencies, the Pentagon, and the deep state and the military-industrial complex. And listen, it's out in the open. This is an open conspiracy. You have plenty of people who literally were former CIA who now work at these various media outlets. Now, the people who are there might think they're keeping it real and being objective and telling the truth. No, they have a perspective, and they have a very, very biased perspective. And it's a perspective in favor of endless war in favor of enriching the military-industrial complex, the so-called defense contractors. That's what their perspective is. And again, I've never seen, this is such a big disconnect between what the people want and how the media is reporting it. Everything is hyper-scrutinized now. We're going to get to another story on this later that's going to blow your mind. I, dare I use these words? But the withdrawal, I think it's fair to say at this point, has been a success. Wait until I give you the specifics. You're going to understand exactly what I'm saying when we get to it. But what are they doing? Hyper-scrutinize every aspect of the withdrawal, every nook and cranny. Blame Biden for things that Biden has absolutely no control over whatsoever. But do not scrutinize by any stretch of the imagination the war itself, the 20 years that we were there, and all the greed and all the grifting and all the corruption and the allying with warlords, with child sex slaves, and the propping up a puppet fake government, jacking natural resources. Don't talk about any of that. Don't do deep dives on any of that. Don't do any deep dives on the colossal number of civilian casualties that we were responsible for. We just had the record in, I think it was 2018 or 2019, record number of civilian casualties because of our drone strikes and our bombings. Trump got rid of whatever remaining rules there were, however few there were, and now we've massacred civilians all over the place. Bombed weddings, markets, 
Now, what the media is doing, so one of the things they're doing is a bunch of people held onto a plane when it was taking off during the initial withdrawal, when it, when it was chaotic and the Taliban was marching in to take over. One of them was a 17-year-old soccer star. They did this deep dive, this personal profile on the 17-year-old kid. And uh, listen, hey, fair enough. That's the media doing some investigative reporting, doing their job. I understand it. They didn't do any of that for the 50,000 minimum Afghan civilians that we were responsible for killing or that were killed while we were there. To be fair, I don't know the breakdown of the 50,000 civilians who died. How many is the Taliban responsible for? How many is the U.S. responsible for? How much of it is, you know, an accident or whatever? I don't know. But there was none of this. We dropped over 7,000 bombs in 2019, I think the year was. 7,000 in Afghanistan. How many babies? How many women? How many children? How many sports stars? How many, uh, you know, merchants died in those bombings? Were there any profiles over that? I didn't see any profiles over that. So there's lies by omission and there's lies by commission. What they're doing is lying by omission. Don't tell you any of the negative things, any of the crazy things, any of the mind-blowing things that are happening because we're there. But when we pull out, oh, my God, the withdrawal's the problem. This brought about the chaos. As if everything beforehand was hunky-dory. As if we didn't just get the Afghanistan papers. The withdrawal is getting more scrutiny than the Afghanistan papers. Remember when the Afghanistan papers came out and we learned the whole war is a lie? People on the ground were like, we don't even know what the fuck we're doing here. What's the goal? What's the purpose? What's the point? We didn't even know. A lot of people on the ground were saying that. Did we get one-tenth the coverage that we're getting now with the withdrawal? No. And I will make the case the withdrawal has actually been the most orderly of the entire war, been the part of the war that has worked the best. And I really think that's inarguable, by the way. So, God damn it, man. You have Democratic Party turned on Biden and wants to investigate the withdrawal. The Republicans are hammering away. Even the Republicans who pretended to be anti-war for 18 seconds under Trump, they're hammering away at Biden. So all the Republicans are coming after him. Uh, the overwhelming majority of the Democrats are coming after him. The entire media, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, they're all pummeling him relentlessly. And you get this nonstop chorus. And so, guys, what I'm trying to point out to you is it doesn't matter what the truth is, and it doesn't matter how right you are if you get wall-to-wall coverage where everybody's calling you an idiot, everybody's calling you dumb, everybody's calling you wrong, everybody's calling you, saying you have blood on your hands. It doesn't matter how right you are because the media can move the polls. The media can move the numbers. And people can have this cognitive dissonance where there are so many people who say, we need to get out of Afghanistan, but I don't like uh, Joe Biden getting out of Afghanistan. Now, if you say to me, Kyle, come on, man, it's the way in which he got out, that's the problem here. Guys, no matter when we got out, Kabul was going to fall and it was going to become, and Afghanistan was going to become Talibanistan whenever we got out. So if it's going to happen now, if it was going to happen five years ago, if it was going to happen 20 years from now, then how can you fault the person who withdraws and blame them? You can't blame them. That makes no sense. If it's always going to happen, if you say, well, we have to avoid that no matter what, then admit that you're in favor of endless war and never leaving. Then just admit that to yourself. Admit it. Because that's what it is. So it was, it was always going to fall. It was always going to fall. It was always going to become Talibanistan. It is what it is. I'd rather pull out and have Talibanistan than stay there forever. How about that? Now, many people in the media would say the exact opposite. You need to decide, which side are you on? 
Which side are you on? Are you on the side of ending imperialism? Ending wars is good, actually? Or are you on the side of, I'm going to nitpick this to, to the high heavens and uh, make it very clear that with these facts on the ground, I would never leave. You need to decide which side you're on. I'm very clear which side I'm on. So this is, uh, I hate to see this. And by the way, you're also, just so everybody understands, you're also incentivizing presidents in the future to continue to do the wrong thing, to avoid the media flip out. Just so you know, ready for a dark, scary thought, this is exactly what's going to happen whenever any good thing happens. Whenever any good thing happens. Watch, if we get the, if we get like paid family leave, which is in the reconciliation bill that's up for a vote, if we get, um, if we get universal pre-K or tuition-free community college, you, the media is not going to cover it favorably. What they'll do is take the budget hawk, the deficit hawk angle and the debt hawk angle and be like, oh, this costs so much money. How are we going to pay for it? No, look at all the problems with the implementation of these various things. Wasn't it a terrible idea to do it? So they're always going to take things that are good and make them out to be bad because they're totally bought and owned by corporate America and the military-industrial complex. So, I mean, uh, listen, wait and see. There's going to come a day where we expand Medicare, we get a public option, a day in the future where we get Medicare for all, and you'll have the media 100% on the side of nitpicking it to death and making it seem like this was a terrible idea when they totally ignore the way more problems under our current system, the endless profiteering, the scam on top of a scam within a scam, that is our healthcare system. They'll make you, people feel like, oh, before it was better, and now when everybody's covered and it costs less, this is worse. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what Noam Chomsky meant when he said manufacturing consent. The media is manufacturing consent so that if we get back in Afghanistan or if we pick the wrong path when it comes to healthcare reform or whatever, people would go, well, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Uh, there were so many problems with it, I guess this is what we were going to do. So they've now primed the public for something like that to happen. If, uh, if Biden, uh, something happens to Biden and then Kamala becomes president and Kamala gets us right back in Afghanistan, even though 63% of the country says, I want to get out, if Kamala gets back in, people will be like, bah, what are you going to do? There were a lot of problems when we withdrew. That was very clear. This is how they manufacture consent. This is how they drive the narrative. And... You know, not to toot my own horn here, because this isn't just about me. I think this is about the whole space that we're in. But this is why independent media is so important. This is why new media is so important. Because, no, you're not hearing this perspective almost anywhere else. You're not hearing a, a real defense of Biden from anybody else other than maybe Biden. And even he sometimes concedes, I think, too much and doesn't go enough on the offense. He's been playing a lot of defense lately. No, I want to go on the offense. So you're not going to hear this anywhere else. And we are, you know, I'm standing in front of a tsunami with my hand up like, hey, stop. That's, it's a tough battle. You're up against the entire media and everybody's being propagandized. And now the duh opinion becomes, well, of course this was fucked up. What if it wasn't? What if this is exactly right? And the reason why there's a flip out is because the military industrial complex is losing their profits. And the imperialists are afraid of China and Russia getting their hands on the natural resources, the trillions of dollars in mineral wealth and the opium. What if that's what this is about? What if you've been lied to every step of the way? That's where we are. And by the way, to all the Trump people who said all the time when Trump was president, we got to end the forever wars and all that stuff. They pretended to be anti-war. They were completely on the page of the media's fake news. 
They're liars. They're fake news. But now you're going to buy the mainstream media narrative hook, line, and sinker when it comes to Biden in Afghanistan? No, no. Use your brain. This is propaganda. This is absolutely propaganda. And they're manufacturing consent for more war and for the military-industrial complex. Joe Biden is correct. He's right on this. And it's a goddamn tragedy that his approval rating is plummeting. Because all you hear is bad-mouthing him for, like, the one good thing or one of the few good things that he did. Probably the best thing he did, the most brave thing a president has ever done in my entire lifetime. And he's catching hell for it. What this tells me is, I mean, I said it before, I think I hate the media even more than I hate our politicians, which is a bold statement, but I think it's true. Um, We totally, absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, need to remake the media need to clean house and get people who are honest and who are truth tellers and who aren't captured by corporate interests or the military industrial complex. And don't get it twisted. It's not nefarious. I don't even think these people know that that's what they are. I think Jake Tapper's real opinions are hawkish. He's a liberal interventionist, which is why he says those things. But that's why he's on the air. That's why they pick him. So the real conspiracy and the real scandal is in the hiring process. Who are you going to pick? You're going to pick people who are not going to rock the boat, who are going to give the establishment narrative. What happened? The one time the media started giving Trump all this praise and all this credit, you remember when that was? When he bombed Syria. Up until that point, it was this buffoon, this authoritarian, this dictator. He's terrible. He's horrible. And we love that he bombed Syria. Brian Williams was like, the beauty of our weapons as they take off and kill people. They started giving Trump credit. For bombing Syria, it was the first time that this is the day he became president. Somebody literally said that. I forget which network it was on, and I forget who it was, but somebody said that. So they praise Trump when he bombs, and they bash Biden when he withdraws. Maybe the media just has a pro-war bias. They definitely do. We're here to change that, but obviously I'm one voice, and I'm fighting up against you know, an entire YouTube algorithm that's holding me back. So it's really hard to get this stuff out there, but we got to spread the word. we got to get it out there. This is bullshit. This is manufacturing consent. Don't fall for the lying media. Okay, next. So the media is continuing with their hair on fire, um, outraged coverage of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Let me show you this here. Alex Thompson says, new, the West Wing is looking increasingly disconnected from reality as the Biden White House strives to project a sense of calm competence, even as the Taliban tighten their grip on Afghanistan and chaos grips the airport. By Lara Seligman and Alex B. Ward. So you can see how uh, melodramatic they're being. Politico, this is the article he's referring to. The definition of gaslighting, as chaos unfolds at Kabul airport, Biden team projects calm. Quote, I don't think the president's rhetoric matches the conditions on the ground, one former State Department official said. I've seen this elsewhere, too. They're, they go right to a CIA guy who's like, this is bad. We should have done this. Why not go right to, a, you know, right to a representative of Lockheed Martin or Raytheon? This is really going to impact our profits negatively. I mean, this is not, this is not good for the people of Afghanistan. So look at the narrative that they're going with. Now, listen, early on, 
Could you make the case it was chaotic? Of course you could. Of course you could. You had people hanging on to planes as the planes were taken off because they were trying to escape the Taliban. Uh, is, is it a perfect withdrawal? No, it certainly was not a, a perfect withdrawal. I think that's fair to say. Um, I think that's the right thing to say. However, I will also say if you had this run on Afghanistan before the Taliban took over, you know what would have happened? The same thing. Chaos would have happened because it would have panicked the population and the population would have rushed the airport again and then the Taliban would have taken over while they were rushing the airport and we'd be right where we are before, right where we were before, and it would be a similar situation. So it was almost like no matter what you were going to have, the Taliban take over Kabul, Afghanistan was going to become Talibanistan, and there was no way around it. And by the way, we've also pointed this out, the, the intelligence agencies were telling Biden you have 90 days to get them out. And then as soon as it fell in 11 days, the intelligence agencies went to the, their lackeys in the media, and the lackeys in the media were like, oh, the intelligence agencies were telling him it's going to collapse immediately. Wait, no, you were telling us 90 days before. Now you're saying immediately? What do you mean? It's almost like they're trying to cover their own ass and pawn all the blame off on Biden, and they're trying to make him look stupid for pulling out at all. It's almost like that's exactly what's going on. So you saw um, what the media is saying now, how they're covering it. Chaos! This is crazy what's happening there. Let's nitpick this to death. Now, do you want to know the reality? Biden's came out. He's been talking regularly on this to the American people, came out, he gave another speech, and here's what he said. As of this afternoon, we've helped evacuate 70,700 people just since August the 14th, 75,900 people since the end of July. Just in the past 12 hours, another 19 U.S. military flights, 18 C-17s and one C-130 carrying approximately 6,400 evacuees and 31 coalition flights carrying 5,600 people have left Kabul just in the last 12 hours. A total of 50 more flights, 12,000 more people since I updated you this morning. These numbers are a testament to the efforts of our brave service women and men, to our diplomats on the ground in Kabul, and to our allies still standing with us. Over 70,000 people have been evacuated and not a single American has died. We're withdrawing from Afghanistan. The Taliban took over Afghanistan. There's nothing Biden could do about that, unless you want to permanently stay there, which I don't. So we're withdrawn from Afghanistan. The Taliban takes over Kabul. The thousands of troops, about 6,000 troops we sent there to secure the airport, secured the airport. We've had 70,000, over 70,000 evacuated, and not a single American has died. I'm no genius. But that looks like a wild success to me. That looks like the best it could have possibly gone to me. Now, listen, I don't want to speak too soon. I guess the mission's not over yet. Uh, they're going to finish it on August 31st, by August 31st. And the Taliban says no extensions after that. Biden's like, we're going to finish it by August 31st. So, you know, I'm not declaring victory yet. But to this point, soon as we learn the facts on the ground that we're not changeable and that we're going to happen no matter what, it's gone as good as it could possibly go. Now look at what the media said about it and look at what's actually happening. Look at the difference. The withdrawal from Afghanistan was the best, smoothest, 
most organized part of the war in Afghanistan. Every other part was more chaotic and more dangerous and more extreme. And you would know this if you were familiar with the actual evidence of what happened on the ground there. Now, you're probably not. You guys might be because you watch this show, but most people are not because you didn't have the next level media scrutiny with the war itself. We're going to get to a story later. Trillions of dollars to the military industrial complex and defense contractors. And it, it was basically these no bid contracts robbing the American taxpayer. This was one of the points of the war. Elites got phenomenally wealthy off of this war. They don't want that gravy train to stop. You had the fake puppet government in Afghanistan. Uh, Ghani, the fake president of Afghanistan, ran out the back door with nearly $170 million in cash as the Taliban was marching to take over Kabul. The whole effort was fraudulent. The whole thing was a grift. And by the way, the other reason why we're there, the natural resources, trillions of dollars in mineral wealth in Afghanistan that the Taliban is now sitting on. CNN admitted that the other week. They haven't said anything about that at all to this point. Now they're saying stuff about it. So the reasons why we were there were fraudulent. And some people got phenomenally wealthy off of the war. And the, the Pentagon and the CIA, they wanted to do permanent military occupation. We were allying with warlords who have child sex slaves. They didn't nitpick that one-tenth as much as they're nitpicking. The withdrawal and the withdrawal, based on these facts, seems to be going pretty fucking smoothly, wouldn't you say? More than 70,000 that have been pulled out since, I think, August 14th. 70,000 and not a single American death. To this point, that's a success. That's a success. Now, again, you're not going to hear this perspective anywhere else anywhere else. Because now the media is beholden to their CIA operatives and and contributors and uh, the Pentagon, and they're just stenographers to the deep state who want this endless war. And so that's why you're getting the hair on fire coverage, the outrage coverage, nonstop, nonstop. Say it again, and you're going to hear me say this a million times. Afghanistan was going to fall no matter when we left. So it's better to rip off the Band-Aid quickly. It's better to rip it off quickly. Credit to Joe Biden for an orderly and safe withdrawal where not a single American has been killed. Massive credit to him on that. And um, in a world that made sense, the media would be pointing that out endlessly. And so his approval rating would be going up for following through with the will of the American people, by the way. 63% want to get out of Afghanistan. But Joe Biden's approval rating is plummeting on Afghanistan. How can that be? Because of media propaganda like the stuff I just showed you. But you remember the facts, because the facts are important, and that's what the media should be saying. Over 70,000 taken out, not a single American dead. I don't know how it could have gone any better after the initial fall of Kabul. Okay, next. Now, I told you guys on the show recently, I don't know if it was uh, during Crystal Kyle and Friends or if it was on um, Secular Talk, the Kyle Kalinske show. I don't know when I said this, but I had a hunch that during the course of our 20 years in Afghanistan, 
there was probably a year-long period where Afghanistan wasn't mentioned once on any of the networks. So we're a country at war. And for an entire year of that war, my prediction was, I bet none of the outlets talked about it at all. Because listen, I, I've been doing this full time since late 2012, early 2013. And I follow this stuff super closely. And the print outlets, uh, I think the entire time covered them to one extent or another, even though it wasn't nearly as much as it should have been. But the TV outlets, no, they suck at their job on another level, and they're terrible. So I regret to inform you that uh, my prediction was incorrect. I wasn't right. However, I was really, really, really close to being right. Take a look at this. This is from an outlet called, um, what's it called, Good Statecraft, U.S. Statecraft? Hold on, let me get the, let me get the name. I want to give credit to these people because... I think they did a wonderful job. Wait for it. Oh, God. How far back is this? Am I going to be able to find it? Oh, responsible state. Okay, I got it. It just popped in my head. This is from an outlet called Responsible Statecraft. Minutes of broadcast network Afghanistan coverage per year, per year. So this is the nightly news where most Americans get their news. This isn't cable news, this is nightly news, okay? In 2020, Afghanistan got a full five minutes of coverage between all three major networks combined. Five minutes of coverage, all three major networks combined. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, this is where people would say, yeah, but that was coronavirus time, so what are you going to do? Listen, I get it, but there's a lot of time in the day, bro, and there's a lot of of hours that you're doing the news. You're only going to do five minutes of coverage between three different networks of Afghanistan, a war where we're in our 20th year or 19th year at the time? That is totally unforgivable. You see, 2019, 71. So that's a little over an hour of coverage for an entire year among three networks. By the way, Secular Talk has done more than all these three giant networks combined, with many less hours on the air. Um, 2018, 66 minutes. So again, an hour coverage. That, if I'm not mistaken, it was either 2018 or 2019, the year with the highest civilian casualties. In one of those years alone, the U.S. dropped over 7,000 bombs killed a record number of civilian casualties. And it got, the entire war got less than an hour of coverage for an entire year over three networks combined. And then you could go back and see all the different numbers there. 2016 was also a phenomenal low point, only 27 minutes. In 2009 and 2010, there was more coverage. That was because of the surge. That coincides with the surge. And then obviously you go all the way back to 2001 and you had 940 minutes that, you know, sort of dominated the coverage. But listen, even in like, even in 03, 04, 05, 06, like 100 minutes for three networks combined for an entire year, that's nothing. That is absolutely nothing. So even though my prediction, even though my prediction wasn't completely correct, it wasn't too far from wrong. Um, So let me give you another quote here from Responsible Statecraft. They say, 
While the pathetic amount of coverage of the conflict last year can be partially explained by the virtually total dominance of the news agenda by the COVID-19 pandemic, the three networks devoted a total of only 362 minutes to Afghanistan in the preceding five years, or just two hours of coverage per network, or an average of only 24 minutes per network per year. So in the preceding five years, five whole years, there was an average of 24 minutes per network per year. For a war we've been at well over a decade, 24 minutes per network per year. That's like two secular talk segments on Afghanistan. I'm a random idiot YouTuber with a loud mouth, and I cover the news that matters way more than the news networks themselves do. That's unacceptable, that's unforgivable, and that's exactly what the military-industrial complex wanted. Because if you covered it with a skeptical eye, if you were honest about what's going on, if you reported extensively on the Afghanistan papers and then had your week-long, two-week-long total meltdown as to what the hell we're doing there, they would hate it, and that would undermine their agenda. So the CIA and the Pentagon and the deep state wanted the media to be quiet while the gravy train was continuing, while they were there profiteering off of war, grifting, making millions and millions of dollars, maybe, I mean, there were, there was $2 trillion that went to the defense contractors. That's an incentive to want to stay there, isn't it? Isn't it? The trillions of dollars of mineral wealth in Afghanistan is an incentive to want to stay there, isn't it? The opium, that's an incentive as well, isn't it? No coverage on that, very little coverage of the warlords with child sex slaves, very little coverage of us massacring innocent civilians, bombing weddings, bombing a hospital like we did in Kabul in in the Obama years, at the end of the Obama years. Don't talk about any of that. Only flip out when we withdraw. Do you see how they manufacture consent now? It's selective outrage and selective coverage. You got more coverage on Afghanistan from this one little rinky-dink YouTube show, which is held back colossally by the algorithm, got more coverage from me than all of the major networks in the evening news combined. That's ABC, CBS, and NBC, the nightly news, where probably most Americans get their news. Five minutes in 2020, 24 minutes on average per year for the last five years. This is disgraceful. And this is exactly what the military-industrial complex wants, exactly what the CIA wants, exactly what the Pentagon wants. And that's who's really pulling the strings here, because you have, you have the contributors are former CIA operatives. They're not even hiding it. They're not even hiding it. If this doesn't frustrate you, if this doesn't piss you off, you're just not paying attention. You're just, you've become numb to the disgusting reality that we live in. This should absolutely fire you up. And again, this is one of the reasons why new media is so colossally important. But we're fighting a tsunami. We're standing there as a tsunami comes at us because all of us are, we have our hands tied by the algorithm. They used to, they used to recommend my stuff all the time on YouTube when it was a more neutral, open, fair system because it was more of a meritocracy. The algorithm was more of a meritocracy. If your stuff was popular, it would get spread more. Now, they hold you back. If you're even slightly edgy, that's why all the, if you guys put on autoplay, you'll realize it very quickly. You'll be redirected all the time to, if you watch a secular talk video, 
the next thing that play, plays almost is never a secular talk video. John Oliver, Trevor Noah, one of the big three networks. That's what it is. Go ask somebody who was a listener to Secular Talk five years ago what would happen. You watch Secular Talk video, and what happens? Then you, another one plays. Then another one plays. Then your whole recommended sidebox is all Secular Talk videos. There's a reason that they do that. They want to redirect back to the authoritative news sources. Well, here's the authoritative news sources. Here's what they did. This is what they did. They ignored the war in Afghanistan. They ignored the scandals. They ignored the civilian deaths. They ignored the allies who were warlords with child sex slaves. They ignored the Pentagon Papers where military officials themselves were like, what the hell are we doing here? What's the end goal? What's the purpose? There is no purpose. They ignored the interfighting there in the first place. They ignored us intervening in a civil war they, in every way imaginable. They ignored the important stories, and now they're pumping up the bullshit narrative that it's an outrage that we got out. Support independent media however you can. Share independent media stuff however you can. Because, again, there's some, some of us were there the entire time reporting on what was happening in Afghanistan. Just type in Secular Talk Afghanistan and scroll through and see how many times we covered Afghanistan. And compare that to these absolute charlatans, conmen, frauds. Five minutes in all of 2020. Five minutes between three major networks. 24 minutes per year for the previous five years. We're in late in the second decade of a war where people are dying, where we have a record Afghan civilian casualties. If you can't tell, I'm very frustrated by this. I'm very heated by this. Because what the hell's the antidote? If we have our hands tied behind our back and we can't correct the narrative and we can't get popular enough, and they're not doing their job right, what's going to happen? Well, we're seeing it happen right in front of our eyes. What's going to happen is, even though getting out of Afghanistan is a 63% issue in the American public, Biden followed through on that, and his approval dropped on Afghanistan from 55% to 25%. So he did the thing Americans want, and because the media does ruthless, relentless propaganda, he plummets in his approval rating because of it. If you ever want good things to ever happen again, ever, we need to have a media that's actually functional and does the right thing and tells the truth, and we're nowhere near that right now. All right. Next. Alex Jones has turned on Donald Trump. Now, he did this once before. He mumbled under his breath when he was clearly drunk. He said, like, I'm so sick of Trump or something like that. He takes it further this time because it's over a specific issue. Take a look. A bunch of medical doctors I want to play for you on this when we come back. But first, let's take President Trump, who I believe is a good person, and who I really care about and who I want to see a lot of good Republicans elect in the midterms and who I would love to see run again. we got to take him to the woodshed, though, because he came out last week on Fox and Friends and said, I really am suspicious of this booster shot, and this supposedly works so well, why do I need a booster shot? Because he got lied to, Trump. He didn't have 98% efficacy. We knew day one it wouldn't work, period. It's a fraud. It'll create mutants. You got chumped. You got signed on to a fraud to restart the economy. I understand why you did it. You believe in science. You said these are bad actors, sir. You believe America could produce a good vaccine. Of course they could have. They didn't want to. They didn't create a vaccine. They created a Frankenstein. And now they've got you signed up to it. 
Now the left saying you better get out there and push it, and you are. CNN comes out and says, we need to see Trump come out a couple of the shots. And within weeks of them saying it over and over again, CNN snaps their fingers. Kev Zucker snaps his fingers, and Trump clicks his heels and hops up there in attention and says, how high do you want me to jump, boss? There's Trump in uh, Alabama yesterday. I believe totally in your freedoms. I do. you got to do what you have to do. But... I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got, no, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccines. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know, okay? I'll call up Alabama and say, hey, you know what? But it is working. B.S. Trump, that's a lie. You're not stupid. Just two weeks ago, they said it was 65%, then 40%. Saw a number put up on about Pfizer shots, 30-some percent. Because these ones say it doesn't work, so you run into the new damn shot. Then they'll tell you in six months that one doesn't work. It's called rope-a-dope. Shame on you, Trump. Seriously. Hey, if you don't have the good sense, just save yourself and your political career. That's okay. At least you're going to get some good Republicans elected. And, you know, we like you, but my God, maybe you're not that bright. Maybe Trump's actually a dumbass. All right, we'll be right back. Stay with us. Listen, this is an area where, no, Alex Jones is a total dumbass, and Trump is right. Trump is right. And, by the way, listen, he should have said it earlier, and he should have said it over and over, um, but he didn't. But, listen, better late than never, and credit to Trump for standing up in front of a crowd that's probably mostly anti-vaxxers and being like, get the vaccine, take it, I took it, I'm fine. It works, it's good. So Alex says there, by the way, he, for a guy who claims to, I'm against, uh, you know, the elites and the mainstream media. He's parroting the mainstream media line. We covered this on this show. All those headlines that were like, the vaccine is only 40% effective or 50% effective against the Delta variant. When you read past the fucking misleading sensationalist headline, Alex, what it says is 40 to 50% effective against getting COVID. How effective is it against severe illness, hospitalization, and death, which are the only numbers that matter, over 95%. So for Mr. I'm tough on mainstream media, you just fell hook, line, and sinker for the mainstream media bullshit by reading a headline and thinking it's totally factual and not trying to understand what's really going on. So, and by the way, the only chart, the only graph you need to understand how important the vaccine is, is this one. COVID-19-associated hospitalizations among unvaccinated and fully vaccinated people. Hmm, I wonder if the vaccine works. Wow, it's really hard to tell. Listen, yes, with the the original COVID strain, the vaccine worked better because there were far, far fewer what's called breakthrough infections, which means if you have, if you're vaccinated, you're probably just not going to get the original covid You're just not going to get it. Um, And if you do get it, it'll probably be asymptomatic. Now, with the Delta variant, if you're vaccinated, there's still a decent chance you're going to get it. Like, there is a chance you're going to get it, but you might have the sniffles. You might have some cold symptoms. Um, You know, but in my mind, when I look at that, I say, the vaccine is still working because who knows how bad it would have been if you didn't get vaccinated. So if you get the vaccine and all you have is an asymptomatic infection or all you have is cold-like symptoms, if I tell you you could either have a cold or you could be go, or go into the hospital and have trouble breathing, which one are you going to pick? And that's really where we are. That's really where we are. 
When it comes to the efficacy of the vaccines against severe illness, hospitalization, and death, it is very, very, very successful. It's, it's super effective. Now, again, there will be more breakthrough cases with the Delta variant, but even if you have a breakthrough case and you had the vaccine, it's going to ameliorate your symptoms and make them not nearly as bad. And you don't, you don't have to take my word for any of this. Look at the data. Look at the evidence. Look what it suggests. And you can see right here, you can see it right here, that among the vaccinated, they're not going to the hospital and they're not getting nearly as sick as the unvaccinated. That's a fact. So Donald Trump is 100% correct. Alex Jones is 100% wrong. I mean, it's amazing. Of all the things Trump has done, this is what Alex Jones turns on him over? Something he's right about? What about, you know, I think maybe Alex did say something when Trump bombed Syria. I think he did. So on that one, I'd say Alex Jones is right and Trump is wrong. But there are so many things that Alex either wasn't outraged by or offended by when he should have been. You know, when Trump gutted the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, for example. Did Alex Jones come out there and say this is going to hurt working families and it's going to allow financial institutions to rob people blind? No. Did he even know that Trump did that? Probably not. Did did Alex Jones um, get pissed off at Trump when Trump increased the military budget, even though he's pretending to be anti-war? No. No, he didn't. Did Alex Jones go after Trump when Trump said he, he was getting, getting out of Afghanistan? Then when he left, we still had 2,000 troops there. Did he say anything? No. He didn't say anything about that. There's so many things that Trump did where Trump was wrong, where he was ripe for criticism. There was net outsourcing jobs under his administration. His tax bill increased outsourcing and incentivized outsourcing. Did Alex Jones attack Trump for that? No. All these areas where if you actually are a populist and you actually want to help the people, you could attack Trump. He didn't have a word to say. He only turns on him when Trump says the right thing about vaccines. The biggest, the biggest success of the Trump administration was Operation Warp Speed and getting that vaccine out. That's the biggest success of his entire administration. And this is something Alex Jones turns on him over. By the way, I don't even know where the hell his show is now. Like, I don't know how Media Matters got that video. Because how the hell do you find his website or his show? It's been hidden and tucked away in a corner and... And I'm not saying that's a good thing. You guys know I'm in favor of free speech, and I think it's a terrible, slippery slope when you start banning people, and Alex Jones has been banned from everywhere. But I'm amazed that anybody was able to find it. But there you have it. Uh, Alex Jones has turned on Daddy Trump. Okay. All right, let me... Take a break. When we come back, Cuomo begs for tax cuts for the rich on his way out the door, and unvaccinated Trump supporters give us their bonkers theories. Stay right there.
Welcome to the show, everybody. We're back. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to Lay Show. Okay, let's keep it going. Keep it moving. Um, Andrew Cuomo gave a goodbye speech, farewell speech, and I'm going to play a couple parts for you, or one important and hilarious part. Andrew Cuomo is going, going, gone. He has stepped down. Um from his position of governor of New York, and uh, he gave a farewell speech. There were many parts of it that I could show you, but I'm going to show you my favorite part, where he proceeds to beg for tax cuts for the rich on the way out. Demonizing business is against our collective self-interest. Taking actions that cause businesses to flee the state Taking jobs with them only weakens our tax base and our ability to do good things for people. We can address income inequality without ending incomes. Taxes can be reduced right away if Washington does what they promised New Yorkers they would do and repeal the so-called SALT tax. That would lower New York's taxes $15 billion per year. That would make a major difference and, frankly, dwarf all of the other federal aid programs. It should have been done eight months ago. We're going to have to fight to make it happen, but we must wage that fight. So uh, I'm going to explain in detail what he's talking about there in a second, but um, the first two issues he brought up, policy issues on his way out. Obviously, at first it was like uh, the facts are the facts, and this was political, and I was railroaded, and it's not fair, and whatever, and then he gets to the policy issues. First one he brings up is, don't defund the police. Defunding the police is bad and wrong, and then he goes right to this. Now, the SALT tax is uh, the state and local tax deduction, and basically what that means is if you're a New York resident, you pay – state and local taxes, and obviously you pay federal taxes as well, what used to be the case is whatever, however much you pay in state and local taxes, you can deduct that amount from your federal tax bill. So you get a break on your federal tax bill for however much you paid in state and local taxes. Trump actually got rid of that. And um, there's basically Democrats from high-income areas are trying to bring back the state and local tax deduction because it would be good. Basically, it's, a, it's effectively a tax cut for wealthy New Yorkers. And so the second issue he brings up in his farewell address is we have to fight on this issue, fight to make sure we can cut taxes for wealthy New Yorkers. Of course, of course, this is the direction he went in. Of course. So he's still, you know, he's still being self-righteous. He's still, uh, you know, claiming that he got railroaded and it wasn't fair and all this stuff. And on his way out, the issues he seems to care about are more right-wing issues. Definitely cut taxes for the rich. Definitely do that. We have to fight on that. He was not good, needless to say. 
all the sexual harassment and, and even sexual assault and stuff aside, and I recommend everybody check out the segment we did on the AG report from New York because it details all that stuff and we go through many of the claims. All that stuff aside, there's been a number of other scandals that were horrendous as well. Um, when they built the new, now they call it the Cuomo Bridge, the Mario Cuomo Bridge, so it's named after his father who was governor. Um, it used to be called the Tappan Zee Bridge, but they, now they call it the Mario Cuomo Bridge. They um, put bolts that weren't the right size on the bridge, and so they built it incorrectly, and then they tried to cover up the fact that they built it incorrectly. So there was a big scandal on that front. Um, his campaign manager from 2014 was convicted. He was found guilty on bribery, over $300,000 worth. He created the Moreland Commission, which was this anti-corruption commission. And then as soon as that corruption commission started looking into him and his allies, he disbanded the commission immediately. So there's a number of things. We can go on and on here with the Cuomo scandals and the things that he did that were terrible. But I think it says a lot that on the way out the door, it's, I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. And by the way, defunding the police is bad and wrong. And let's cut taxes for the rich. It's one other issue he brought up too, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, he brought up a bunch of COVID-related stuff, like safety measures and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, good riddance, son. Good riddance. There was a weird time period about a year ago or so where everybody in, in corporate media fell in love with him. And then, naturally, that all was uh, shown to be a total fraud and charade because this guy was making decisions that led to the deaths of thousands of people making it so COVID-positive patients can go back in nursing homes and spread COVID drastically. He hid the true number of COVID deaths in New York, wrote a book and made $5 million on it on how he defeated COVID when he didn't fucking defeat COVID and he made terrible decisions that led to deaths. So there you have it. Um, good riddance, Andrew Cuomo, and I hope we don't see you on the political scene again, but he may at some point try to mount a comeback. Okay, next. This is one of my favorite stories of the day here. This is really something. Um, CNN went in the field at a Trump rally in Alabama, and I, I always enjoy these segments. I like to see what real people are, are thinking, whether it's at a Trump rally or a Bernie rally or a Biden rally or wherever. I want to know on the ground what the sentiment is and what the feel is. And so there's some of the rare good work that CNN does. Um, they spoke to unvaccinated Trump supporters and got their opinions. Watch this. No, not getting that vaccine. No, 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 no. The vaccines are not good, huh? Are you vaccinated? No, but I have a lot of hydrochloroquine and zinc in my house. Have you got your vaccine shot? Nope, don't want it. No? Wait, they ain't tested it enough, from my opinion. Yeah. The, the Pfizer shots, if they're both to get full FDA approval, would that change your opinion on it at all? Not because they do a whole lot more investigating in those. Yeah. Nothing's going in me until then. Right. Do you think that would take a long time? About 10 years or so. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the uh, CDC. I don't trust none of them. 
What is it about the vaccine? Because uh, I've watched Dr. Tenpenny, and she's done a lot of research on it. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is a discredited conspiracy theorist who pushes dangerous misinformation about vaccines. I'm sure you've seen the pictures all over the Internet of people who've had these shots, and now they're magnetized. They can put a key on their forehead, it sticks. They can put spoons and forks all over them and they can stick. Those and other unhinged false claims landed Tenpenny on a list known as the Disinformation Dozen, super spreaders of COVID misinformation. These 12 people are out there giving misinformation. Anyone listening to it is getting hurt by it. It's killing people. It's bad information. But Tenpenny and others in the Disinformation Dozen are finding appeal among some Trump supporters. My own doctor tried to get me to get shot, and I told him to go watch Dr. Tenpenny. So you trust this woman on the internet uh-huh. more than your own doctor? Uh-huh, I do. To listen to the internet or to listen to, rather than, rather than the, the professionals, the scientists, the CDC, the FDA, if you look at the history of vaccines, it's been, again, the greatest gift we've ever been given. People today wouldn't be at any of these events. They would either have polio, they would have smallpox, they would have many other diseases. Vaccines have saved us. Trump came here to Alabama Saturday. It's the state with the lowest vaccination rate in the nation. And at the time of this rally, every ICU bed here was full. His timid suggestion his supporters should get the shot was met with jeers. And you know what? I believe totally in your freedoms. I do agree. you got to do what you have to do. But... I recommend take the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got, no, that's okay. That's all right. You got your freedoms. But I happen to take the vaccine. If it doesn't work, you'll be the first to know, okay? Trump got the vaccine, though. Yeah. They keep saying that. I don't know that. I mean, I'm not fully convinced of that. You don't think Trump uh-uh. I don't think he did. Yeah. I really don't. In so many people's minds, so many people who don't want to get the shot, this is a Republican-Democrat thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, we know. But, but I will tell you, I don't personally see that that virus came over here on a donkey or on an elephant, and, and it's affecting everybody. I watch Prophets of God and Newsmax and maybe a little Fox. That's about it. That's about it. Right. That's but right. But I've kind of turned away from news. I don't want to listen to it. I want to listen to what God's saying, what he's fixing to do. That's all I'm concerned about. I think it is a time where God is separating the sheep from the goat. You know, what are you? I am a, a, I'm a goat because I ain't a sheep. I'm not doing what they tell me to do. Hmm. I'm fighting against it. Oh, man. I have so many, uh, so many thoughts and, and feelings on this. Um, uh, that last part of I'm not a sheep. We're going to separate the sheeps from the goats. I'm not a sheep. I ain't doing what they tell me to do. So there's this weird thing that happens where people rightly are skeptical of authority and institutions, and they should be because these institutions have screwed people forever. But, like, for some reason, that skepticism doesn't also reach alternative outlets and institutions and and subcultures. So if you're going to be like really skeptical of official institutions, why wouldn't you also be skeptical of, for example, religion and the church? Like you heard what she was saying there. Um, I I watch Prophets of God and Newsmax and a little Fox, 
and I want to listen to what God is saying to do. And then she brings up some crank that they found on the Internet who's anti-vaccine. Why would you be super skeptical of the CDC and the FDA and uh, all of our medical institutions, which, again, is something I'm sympathetic to. You should always be should always use logic and reason and, and look at the data and the evidence yourself. But, like, there's zero skepticism when it comes to Newsmax and Prophet to God and Fox News. And you say you want to listen to what God is saying. How the hell do you know what God is saying? God doesn't talk to you directly. If you're hearing voices in your head, you're a paranoid schizophrenic. You should probably go get some medical help. So I just I never understood that. I never understood the I'm really skeptical and questioning of institutions on the one hand, but then on the other hand, I'm a complete mark for alternative institutions to, you know, corrupt my mind and feed me lies. And you see this all the time. Like, trust in the church in these areas is through the roof. So, like, trusting government is, is nearly non-existent. Like, maybe you should really be skeptical of both. Maybe you should apply that outlook and that mindset and that filter across the board and be more objective about it. And by the way, that's the other thing that no, nobody would admit watching this, because it's easy to dunk on, oh, idiot Trump supporters or whatever. But like, it is true that a lot of these institutions have earned this, you know, dismissive attitude. Because every step of the way we were being lied to, every step of the way they were getting things wrong. When there was a time when Fauci said masks don't work, and then he admitted he lied and basically said, oh, no, we just wanted to keep the masks for the frontline workers. So you lied. So if every step of the way they're changing the rules and they're telling you one thing and then telling you another thing, it would be much better if they were upfront and honest from the beginning and say, we don't know yet. We don't know what the science says. Uh, you know, we can try to give you answers, but know that these things aren't necessarily definitive until we have way more data and all that stuff. But they didn't. They really sort of lied and projected a fake confidence, and so a lot of people turned on them, which is un- understandable. Now, the beginning, she's like, vaccines are not good, hun. Mm. So one of the ladies makes a good point there. It's like, it's so weird. There's this one that people get stuck on because, you know, when I was a kid, I, we had the mandatory vaccines to get into school. A lot of schools around the country have this. You got to get the smallpox vaccine. You got to get the polio vaccine. You got to get the measles, mumps, rubella, whatever. You get the vaccine and nobody ever thought anything of it, and it was fine. It was fine. And by the way, I've never had polio, smallpox, mumps, rubella, measles, any, because the vaccine worked. It worked. Why is it just this one? Why is it just this one? Why? Because it's a new, the new one that's out? Well, all the data shows, and I've showed you the data on this show, um, it destroyed the alpha variant the vaccines did. It was completely effective against that. And even the delta variant, it protects against hospitalization and severe illness and death, even though there are more breakthrough cases. If you get COVID, you're more likely to just have a cold if you, ha- if you got vaccinated. So all the, the evidence is there, but they just don't, they still don't want to believe it, which means they're taking their skepticism too far. Um, and, and now it's cynicism. One guy says, by the way, I love this. I love when somebody pushes for something and can't even pronounce it. One of the guys said, I got a bunch of hydrochloroquine under my sink. He said something like that. Hydroxychloroquine, that's the name of it. And why do I think you haven't researched this sufficiently? And you shouldn't be, again, putting trust in, some of the early stories that we heard and some of the early things that Trump pushed. Um, One person said they haven't tested it enough. 
And, of course, we had the emergency approval, which there was already testing by that point, obviously. But then now we just got the final approval, full approval, for the Pfizer vaccine from the FDA. Um, and this woman still says not until they do a whole lot more investigation. There's no amount of investigation that's going to make her change her mind. She said, oh, it's got to be 10 years or so. There's, there's no amount that's going to make her change her mind. She should just be honest about that, be honest with herself about that. Um, one of them says, we already touched on this. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the CDC. I don't trust none of them. But funny enough, that person does trust Trump. But then when Trump turns around and says, I took the vaccine and you should too, she's like, I don't believe him. I don't think that he even took the vaccine. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, now, in Alabama overall, vaccination hasn't cracked 40%. And like the CNN host said there, every ICU bed is full right now. The Delta surge is really hitting people hard. You got unvaccinated people are dying and being hospitalized, and it's terrible. And even vaccinated people are getting it, but they're having more mild cases, and they're not hospitalized, and they're not dying. Um, and, I, I mean, what else is there to say about this? It's just it really sort of breaks my heart because there's no – what do you do? How do you get through to these people? I consider myself somewhat of an expert at getting through to people who don't agree with me. The, the, my proudest thing about this show uh, is that I'll have people who, you know, lean right uh, and we're going down the alt-right rabbit hole or we're Ben Shapiro fans or Steven Crowder fans or Tucker fans or whatever, and they'll say, hey, I stumbled across your show and I started watching it and you deconverted me. And so I consider myself somewhat of an expert at changing minds, but I'm also completely realistic about it. And I know that TFGs exist, too far gone exist, and it doesn't matter how good you are, what strategy you take or what approach, and you're just not you're just not going to land. You're not going to have the impact. They're not going to trust you. And um, that breaks my heart when I see that because I don't want to give up hope on people like this. I don't want to, you know, look at these people and be like an elitist, liberal, smug and arrogant and dismissive and like just looking down on them and being condescending to them. And like I want to try to understand their perspective and then come up with a way to let them know, like, here's where, here's where you're misfiring. I agree with the distrust of institutions, but I think you should do that distrust of institutions for all the institutions. Don't give a pass to Newsmax or the cranks on on the Internet or alternative medicine or the church. Like, be just as skeptical with that as you are with the CDC and, and, and the government. And, you know, evaluate things on their own merits. And when it comes to the vaccine, if you do that, you will come to the conclusion it's good to get. It, it's a positive thing to get it. So um, I think some of these people are TFG, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to stop trying to change their mind. Because if you change even one of their one of their minds, then that's a life that's potentially saved if they get the vaccine. Because then if they get COVID, they either won't get it or it won't be that bad. So, geez. I mean, in their defense, you can go into some neighborhoods and get like, this is like the hardcore Republican base. It's not – a lot of people are trying to make it seem like it's just a partisan thing. It's only Republicans who are vaccine-resistant and hesitant. That's not true. Um, there are plenty of lefties, and apparently in certain minority communities, too, the numbers show that there's a, a big vaccine hesitancy. But, again, it's for understandable reasons. The black community is very hesitant, and shit. I mean, look at what happened with the Tuskegee experiments. Like, obviously, you could look at that and say, oh, well, I don't trust any of these fuckers, and I'm not going to. I get it. I get it. Um, but this is – one of those areas where an objective, honest reading of the data and the evidence, you would end up getting the vaccine. So 
don't give up hope. Keep pushing, but just understand that even doing that, there's going to be some people whose minds were never going to change. Okay. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. This is another um, COVID-related story. There's a story that blew up online that I want to talk about with everybody here. This is in The Hill. Alabama doctor tells his unvaccinated patients he won't see them anymore. The physician said that his decision prompted three patients to ask where they could get their vaccine. So um, there's actually been a number of stories like this that have come out recently. There was one that was misleading where people said, oh, doctors walked off the job and said we're not treating unvaccinated patients anymore. So they made it seem like it was almost like a strike where they're like, we're refusing to treat the unvaccinated patients. Turns out that wasn't true. You had, it was the end of their shift and they went out and gave a press conference and said, guys, get vaccinated. This is crazy. This is all preventable. We're in here treating people, and if you get vaccinated, it's much less likely we'll have the surge, we'll have numbers that are this high, we'll have people who need to be hospitalized and whatnot. So that was right-wing media sort of twisted that, and it wasn't true. Um, Because one of those things I think is you should condemn, the idea of, well, I'm not going to treat unvaccinated patients anymore. You took the Hippocratic Oath. You've got to help these people, of course. There's no doubt about it. So that would be condemnable, but that's not what happened. They walked out at the end of their shift and said, get vaccinated, which – I agree with and makes sense. Um, so to this Alabama doctor, now, you need to understand this person is, a, I think, a, just a physician. So not an emergency room person, not in an ICU. Um, and they're, they're just saying, hey, find another doctor because I don't want to see any of my patients die. I've already seen some of my patients die, and it was preventable. If they got vaccinated, they probably wouldn't have died, almost certainly wouldn't have died. Um, so they're just saying, in my practice, I don't want to see any unvaccinated people. And so the reason why the doctor is doing it, and they say this, is they want to spur their people to get vaccinated. They want to let them know, hey, this is serious. I'm not messing around. You have to get vaccinated. Um, So the intent, I think, is pure. In terms of the actual idea behind it, I don't know. I'm torn on it. And in fact, I lean against it. Because I don't know, man. Maybe in some instances, shame as a tactic works or drawing hard lines and being Mr. Tough Guy works. But I think in other instances, it can be counterproductive and it doesn't work. So if at the end of the day, you know, now he says, hey, three people, three patients asked where they could get their vaccine. So I guess the argument is, see, it's literally working. But maybe there are ways to get it done where you're not also threatening to cut off ties with the unvaccinated because I don't want to give them a victim complex. I just want them to understand that they're incorrect and that it's the right thing to do and it's good for them. And unfortunately, with a lot of them, if you give them this victim complex, then they become more emboldened in their take. And we've already seen it. There's so many unvaccinated folks are playing the victim and That's why also when it comes to the, and this is a much longer conversation we could have at another time. This isn't really for this segment, but when it comes to the idea of like a vaccine mandate, like let's say a national, a federal government vaccine mandate for all Americans. I wouldn't be in favor of that because I think that goes too far. And I don't think the government should just be able to force you to put some shit in your body because 
Again, why would you trust the government? They've done so many horrendous things. They've lied so many times. It seems authoritarian and far, too much of an overreach. But what I like is the idea of a soft mandate. So in other words, what, where's, what's an example of a soft mandate? We already do it. We already do it when you go to school. You want your kids to go to school? You want your kids to go to public school? They've got to get vaccinated for measles, mumps, rubella, polio, smallpox, and a whole, a whole bunch of them, a plethora of different uh, illnesses. And so that's like a soft mandate. So in other words, you don't have to get vaccinated but you'll, your kid will have to be homeschooled or, or something like that, you know? So it's a way to try to make it so that in society it just functions a lot smoother if you do the right thing. So you still can object and say, I, this is against my ideology or against my religion or I don't believe in it or whatever. You can still object, but, okay, there are just some consequences to that. And I think the consequences need to be fair, need to be reasonable, like, whatever kind of punishment we get here needs to fit the crime. And if the crime is, I'm just really wrong on this issue and really uneducated and, and I'm putting other people in danger and myself in danger, too, by doing this, okay, well then, just make, it, just make it a little bit of a pain in the ass for them. I don't want them to have to force to get it in their arm, but just make them think twice about it and make them go, maybe this is the right thing to do. And so you gotta, I would also do... Um, an education campaign, you know, and the same with there were the anti-smoking ads in like the 90s and 2000s. Like you should do some sort of educational campaign for this too. Now, granted, you could say, well, the source sucks, so why would I trust the source? But if you do them right, if you do the ads right, if you make the ads convincing, if you have the right people doing it with the right message, then it could work. It could absolutely work, especially if you hammer it over and over and over. What are we learning right now with the media and how they're harping away on the Afghanistan withdrawal and how terrible it is? We're learning that the propaganda works. So you could do propaganda for a good cause. You could do propaganda for the right cause, and you could run vaccine ads and maybe get people to do it that way. But I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this whole, like, you know, tough guy, I'm not going to see you anymore uh, as a doctor. No, do no, first do no harm. And this, even this, even though it's a lower level than an ICU doctor or emergency room or whatever, I still think this might do harm. So not really. I'm, I get the intent I'm with. The execution and the idea, I'm not. I think there are better ways to get the same result, which is more people vaccinated and more people wanting to be vaccinated. Okay. Let's continue, bitch. So, new chart I want to show everybody. This was uh, put together using numbers from uh, our wars in the Middle East. This is for the war in Afghanistan in particular. Congress gave $2 trillion to five weapons companies during the Afghanistan war. The top five military contractors received $2.02 trillion in public funds between October 2001 and August 2021. And you can see there the exact companies we're talking about, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Boeing, and Northrop Grumman. So you could see all along from 2002 was relatively consistent, big spike in 06. Um, You had throughout the years of the surge, it maintained this peak level. The only year it appears to have dipped was 2015 a little bit, but even the 2015 dip was just below surge levels. Um, and then you have the steady climb under the Trump years, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, this is just through the roof with these contracts, oftentimes these no-bid contracts for, um, 
for the military industrial complex for the so-called defense contractors. And you can see the biggest beneficiary was probably Lockheed Martin, followed by Raytheon, then General Dynamics, then Boeing, and then uh, Northrop Grumman. So this is one of the real reasons for the war. That's not the only reason for the war, but this is one of the real reasons for the war, that you had this group of military industrial complex elites who understand that war is a business. And a lot of these politicians who are elected took a lot of campaign money from these companies. And then when they get into power, they uh, return the favor and give more contracts to these corporations. And we get screwed as a result of it. And the civilians in Afghanistan get screwed even more. And U.S. soldiers, U.S. servicemen and women get screwed as well. So this is, what, this is exactly what Dwight Eisenhower warned against, exactly. We played that clip for you on the show the other week um, where he talked about the military-industrial complex. And he says this is a perverse set of incentives, and it's going to go wrong, and it's going to go bad, and you've got to watch out. Well, here we are. Here we are. His uh, nightmare came to reality. And so this is just for Afghanistan, by the way. Forget it. When you add Iraq... These people made out like bandits. And by the way, they oftentimes don't deliver on the things that they're supposed to deliver on. Uh, remember that uh, there was a documentary that came out. Highly recommend you guys watch this. Go look for it right now. It's called Iraq for Sale, The War Profiteers. Go look for that documentary. And what you'll see is the entire thing was a grift. So they would pay exorbitant rates for these contractors to come in and, and you know, work on a military base. And oftentimes the electrical wiring was so shoddy that people got electrocuted in the showers while they were there. They would, you know, price gouge and a six pack of Coke would go for some ridiculous amount of money, like 50 bucks or some shit. Um, and the taxpayers would be charged, of course. So it's, it's military industrial uh, complex contractors. It's other contractors as well. I mean, the whole thing was a grift, and there are some people who got phenomenally wealthy and didn't deliver on what they were supposed to deliver on. And we haven't even gotten into the trillions of dollars in mineral wealth that's in Afghanistan and the opium and in Iraq. It's the oil, and we've got to keep China and Russia at bay. So imperialism was driving this. Profit and capitalism was driving this. Um, it, this is what it's really about. Now, when all is said and done, when all is said and done, it'll be up to 7 trillion dollars that's been spent in our Middle East wars by 2053. Seven trillion. Do you have any idea what seven trillion could have bought here at home? Any idea? You could have rebuilt our entire infrastructure twice over and made it the best infrastructure in the world. It's a crime. We don't have free health care here. We don't have free college here. We have medical debt. We have student debt. We don't have paid vacation time. All these things that this money could have gone towards, instead it went right into the pockets of Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and General Dynamics and Boeing and the rest of them. Criminals, man, criminals. You've heard me say this on the show before as well, but I really think that corruption should be treated in the same class as the worst possible felonies, like murder, rape. Because that really just destroys the fabric of a nation. And uh, we've been watching the slow motion collapse of the nation over a long time now. Okay. Next. 
Alex Jones has a co-host by the name of Owen Schroyer. Um, he's been sort of his right-hand man for a long time. I guess he has his own show now. He's probably had his own show for years. I haven't really kept up too much with Alex Jones since he got banned from like 80,000 platforms. Um, so Owen Troyer went out on the show, and he talked about how he's getting arrested for what he did on January 6th. Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, a couple hours ago, I was informed by my attorney that there is a warrant out for my arrest with allegations involving January 6th, and I will have to turn myself in Monday morning. Uh, there's a lot of questions. Some I have answers to, some I don't. I'm not going to be getting into more of this today on the air. And I plan on declaring innocence of these charges because I am. And so there's some other stuff going on, too. But uh, that's the deal. And so I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment any further on this. I'm not gonna take any questions on this today. But again, I was informed by my lawyer that there's a warrant out for my arrest right now, and that I have to turn myself in by Monday morning. So uh, that's just that. Probably shouldn't even be on air right now, but we're gonna go ahead and do a broadcast anyway. Now, we do not know what the charges are, at least as of yet. I haven't seen anything on that yet. Uh, I'm very curious. I'm very curious. Uh, Alex Jones, in the wake of what happened on January 6th, he was perhaps saying too much. He was saying that uh, Secret Service was coordinating with him and telling him, we want you to lead a march down to the Capitol. And um, he went on Andrew Schultz's show and said it. He also said it on one of his shows. Like He did a broadcast from D.C., and he was talking about how you know, the Trump White House wanted him to be involved and wanted him to lead the march and whatever. Um, and then, obviously, the more time went by, the more people realized how serious this thing was. He tried to distance, him, distance himself a little more, and he was, oh, we were set up, and Trump was set up, and I told people, don't do this. This is the deep state trying to trick you or whatever. Uh, so he wanted both credit for, like, leading it when he thought everything was hunky-dory. Then when everybody was clearly going down and they were committing crimes, he was like, I don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about, bro. I don't, I don't really have anything to do with it. I was set up or something like that, whatever. So, Owen, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know where he was. Did he get into the Capitol? Did he actually commit any crimes? Is there video evidence of it? But, listen, this is, this is police work. This is standard police work. You do the investigation. You figure out who did what. You determine who committed crimes, and then you go get them. And so... This is how these sorts of crimes should be handled. I will say, and I've been consistent on this from day one, no new laws in the wake of January 6th. Problem, after 9-11, what happened? They used 9-11 to spy on the entire country and do the Patriot Act, do illegal, unconstitutional NSA spying and data collection and get rid of due process and get rid of habeas corpus. So I'm not, we're not doing Patriot Act 2.0, and I will fight that vociferously. 
But what you should do is standard police work and get people who were involved and who did terrible things. Now, I, I don't know if Owen did something bad or not, um, but clearly they think he did. And so he's got to turn himself in. Now, I guess he has turned himself in, and maybe we'll find out over time what it is. Maybe we'll see if there's video evidence, but this is the way you handle this stuff. Don't pass new laws. Don't take away everybody's civil liberties. Don't overreact, but react the proper amount. And we'll see if what he did was condemnable and criminal and if he gets time. And um, there you have it. So InfoWars was, to one extent or another, involved in it. Who knows how involved they were. Okay. Next. Now I'm going to show you how hospitals are screwing you. So hospitals in the United States are screwing you and scamming you and price gouging you in the same way that the health insurers are doing that. Um, that's why you always hear me say on this show that our healthcare system is a scam on top of a scam within a scam. Everything's for profit. The incentives are all messed up. And as a result, um, you get screwed and get terrible care that costs more than in the rest of the developed world. So new evidence to this effect that we got this week. I believe it was the New York Times who originally reported on this. Um, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, a colonoscopy costs $1,463 with a Cigna plan. $2,144 with an Aetna plan, $782 with no insurance at all. At the hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, a pregnancy test costs $18 for, a Blue Cross patients in, for Blue Cross patients in Pennsylvania, $58 for Blue Cross HMO patients in New Jersey, $93 for Blue Cross PPO patients in New Jersey, and $10 with no insurance at all. Yet again, no insurance is the cheapest. It's the cheapest option. At Aurora St. Luke's in Milwaukee, an MRI costs United enrollees $1,093 if they have United's HMO plan, $4,029 if they have United's PPO plan. What? What? So um, what's happening is Donald Trump passed this, uh, or he, was, he either signed an executive order or passed a law. I don't remember the specifics of it, but it's basically a pay transparency. And the idea is the hospitals and the insurers need to release what you're paying for various things. And um, they fought this. They didn't want to release it. Now we know why they didn't want to release it. Because everything is completely and utterly arbitrary and made up, and there's no consistency, and sometimes the uninsured actually pay less than the insured, and it's, it's a total and utter colossal mess, which is why they wanted to hide it. They wanted to hide it. So Trump actually put that into place, credit to him for that. Um, and then Biden agreed with Trump and said, we're keeping this in place. And I think they sued, but then they lost. or There was some whole backstory that got us to this point. But now you know why they were trying to hide this. They didn't want you to see the prices because then you'd know, holy crap, the entire system is complete and utter bullshit. And it's fraudulent. Now, um, this reminds me of something we covered on the show about a year ago. So get this. The 100 most expensive hospitals in the United States charge between $1,129 and $1,808 for every $100 of their costs. 
So they own they, they have a cost of $100 for something and they charge up to $1,808 for that thing. That is price gouging. Without a doubt. Uh, this and that was this is, was found in a study from National Nurses United. Overall, hospitals across the U.S. charge an average of $417 for every $100 of their costs. So that's the regular schmegular hospital. The most expensive ones, for every $100 in cost, they charge $1,808. The regular schmegular hospitals, for every $100 in cost, they charge $417. The average markup at hospitals has more than doubled over the past two decades. The markups have resulted in hospital profits skyrocketing by 411% from 1999 to 2017, hitting a record $88 billion in profit. Profit. This is in an industry, mind you, that shouldn't even have profit. Health care and health insurance shouldn't have any profit motive, like the rest of the developed world. $88 billion in profit for the hospitals. $88 billion. That's a crime. So the RAND Corporation did a study and found that hospitals charge private insurers an average of 2.4 times more than Medicare rates. And um, a study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine earlier this year found that 34% of healthcare expenditures go towards administrative costs alone. 34% of the healthcare money isn't even going to healthcare. It's a joke. The whole system is a joke. It's a scam on top of a scam within a scam. The health insurers, what are they incentivized to do? Not cover your shit. Because they make more money the more they deny care. That's how they make their money. The more they deny care to you, then they could pad the bottom line for their shareholders and increase their profit. So that's a terrible, perverse incentive. And now you know the health care providers, the hospitals, they're price gouging everybody a thousand ways to Sunday. And now we get the pay transparency, and we realize how everything's arbitrary. It's not like you got a better deal with the health insurance or whatever. Sometimes the uninsured have the lower cost. It's all arbitrary and made up and grotesque. I don't know how else to, to get this through to people. There is no question. There is no debate. It's not debatable. Medicare for all, single payer, is objectively better. Objectively. Every study says that every single time. It would save $5 trillion over the course of a decade. $5 Because you're cutting out the unnecessary, rapacious, for-profit middleman, the health insurance companies, and you're stopping the price gouging for the providers, from the providers. Guys, this isn't rocket science. I'm not a genius. I'm a dumbass. Even I see this. Now, and by the way, I love, like, again, credit to Trump and credit to Biden for doing the pay transparency thing. But just understand, look at how low the bar is. The best thing we get is that our elected representatives will try to make it so you know how screwed over you are. It's not like we know you're screwed over and we're going to change it. No. So we, we're going to show you how screwed over you are, but all you're going to get is the transparency. We're not going to actually fix it. Oh, my God, it's a sick joke. It's a sick joke. Our entire system is a mess. Our entire system is fraudulent. The institutions are total shit, and it's never been more clear. All right, final story of the day. Conservative media um, is having a normal one, reacting to the Pfizer vaccine getting full FDA approval. What happened was all the vaccines have emergency FDA approval, so there's plenty of evidence, plenty of data to suggest 
the benefits far outweigh any potential negatives. So that's why they were all approved under the emergency declaration. But now the Pfizer vaccine's gotten full FDA approval. So in other words, all the data's in, all the science is in. This is absolutely positively 100% safe and the right thing to get. Um, and one of the things that anti-vaxxers would point out, and they do it all the time, is like, none of these are even fully FDA approved. And so they use that as a talking point against getting vaccinated. Well, now that talking point is destroyed because it did get full FDA approval. The Pfizer vaccine has. So here's how conservative media reacted. Watch. FDA just giving full approval to Pfizer's COVID vaccine. It's the first vaccine to get that full approval and in record time, too. That has critics asking if the process was rushed. Was it? Well, let's bring in Admiral Brett Gerard, former Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary, and, of course, he was our testing czar. So tell us a little bit, sir, about what this moment means to get full approval. Well, this is a very big moment in uh, Operation Warp Speed history and the history of our vaccines, our fight against the pandemic. Prior to this, we had emergencies authorization. What that really meant is that the public health benefits outweighed the known and potential harms. What this says today is we know the benefits, we know the harms, and this vaccine is safe and effective, and every confidence can be given to that. Americans should feel very good, even better than they did yesterday about getting the vaccine. Yeah, what took so long? It's August 24th, 2021, and as you may have heard, the Pfizer COVID vaccine is now fully FDA approved. So that means it's safe now, right? Right. The government is always looking out for our best interests, never trying to use a crisis to gain power, and wouldn't dare approve a vaccine that can cause serious health complications. Except it just did. Look, if I just lost anyone now at questioning the government, good. I don't want low-IQ individuals watching this show anyways. Because anyone who hasn't been living under a rock these past two years can tell you that big government-loving Democrats are insatiable when it comes to power and are more than willing to risk lives, of course not their own, but certainly yours, if it means having the ability to control your life. This has nothing to do with big government Democrats. Operation Warp Speed happened under Trump. The vaccine got emergency approval under Trump. Now it's just getting final approval because all the processes are done now. Uh, to make it partisan, I don't want low IQ individuals watching the show. I'm sorry, but that's probably all you have. I see a low IQ individuals hosting the show, but I digress. I don't want to be too vituperative here. Um, but of course, they were going to move the goalposts. Of course, they were all going to move the goalposts. And that's what we're seeing. We're witnessing them move the goalposts in real time. None of these vaccines even have full FDA approval. One of them gets full FDA approval. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, come on. Come on, just admit, be honest about why you're against it and how you're against it. It's so silly. Uh, by the way, the, I don't know if you caught the contradiction in the, the Fox News clip, but at the very beginning, um, Dana Perino says, critics are wondering, was it rushed? And then the other host jumps in and says, what took this so long? So you're going to, no matter what, they're going to find a reason to object. Was it rushed? What took so long? Oh, my God, for the love of God. What if, what if it actually is just right? What if the emergency approval was correct? And what if um, the full approval is correct? Because I'm pretty sure that's where we are. Now, again, you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at all the data and all the evidence. We've covered quite a bit of it on the show. But the vaccines are uh, definitely saving lives. It, it was really great against the original variant of COVID, against the new variant it's still overwhelmingly protecting people from hospitalization, death, and severe illness. 
But there are more breakthrough cases, which means you could get COVID, you could have a cold or whatever if you're vaccinated, but that's a lot better than getting COVID and being in the hospital. So it's, it's sad watching people move the goalposts. At this point, whoever remains, I don't know if there's any changing their mind. I mean, you could try to chip away over time, but it's tough. It's tough. Are we always going to have 20, 30 percent or something like that that are just going to be vaccine uh, hesitant no matter what? I mean, our numbers are getting up there, but we're starting to get to the point where it's like pulling teeth to get anybody else. It's like pulling teeth to get anybody else to do it if they haven't yet at this point. But make no mistake about it, this is a big deal that the, it got full FDA approval because what's going to happen now is any sort of institutions in the country, whether businesses or whatever, they will now look at this as more of a green light where they're comfortable doing vaccine mandates to work at the different places. Now, again, I'm not in favor of a, a, a full mandate, a national federal mandate, because I think that's far too authoritarian and the government really doing too much and overstepping their bounds. Um, but I'm in favor of what I would call a soft mandate, which is we already have them. So, for example, when you have to go to school, hey, you got to be vaccinated for polio and smallpox and measles and mumps and rubella and all these other things. So just add COVID to that list. You want the kid to go to school, they got to get it. Now, to, uh, kids is actually a bad example because it's not approved for them yet. I think it will be, but it's not approved for them yet. Um, but I'm in favor of, like, a soft mandate. So you could not get the vaccine if you want, but it's just going to be a little bit of a pain in the ass because the default is going to be everybody should get the vaccine because they should. Um, but they're going to keep moving the goalposts. They'll say it's rushed. They'll say there's side effects that they're not telling you or – but, you know, these people all undermine their credibility if they're anti-vaccine anyway, because then they turn around and believe these cranks with all, uh, alternative treatments that are far more unproven than the vaccine ever was. You know, um, it'd be just as skeptical as alternative medicine as you are of traditional medicine. You should be skeptical of big pharma. You should be skeptical of institutions. Use your own brain and logic and look at the evidence. Um, but don't, like, take away all your skepticism when it comes to the alternative stuff because that stuff is usually even more full of shit. So there's my two cents on that. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We are Dunsies. By the way, we have an awesome Crystal Kyle and Friends for you this week. We are having on somebody from Congress. I will not tell you who it is. You're going to have to wait and see. We are having on a congressperson on Crystal Kyle and Friends this week. Definitely don't miss it. Definitely tune in. You're going to love it. Um, we're actually going to be on – I'm going to be gone for a week starting – let me look at this. Starting September 2nd. So, in other words, September 1st will be a show, and then I will not have a show that Monday, the 6th. Should be back by the 8th, though, for sure. So I'll be missing one show on September 6th, but um, there will be – I have some amazing Crystal Kylan friends, guests that you're really not going to want to miss. Like I said, congressperson this week. Then there's another one I'm excited about the week that I'm gone um, that you guys will see. And then in mid-September, you guys are going to be got probably the coolest guest we've had yet. That says a lot, too, because we've had Noam Chomsky. We've had Cornell West. 
this new this next guest for mid September is really gonna light the internet on fire. I'm excited for it. So anyway, all right, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Peace out. <laughs>